Our coverage now continues with the luminous Lara Coast and the awesome <laughs> Allison Camerata, who, who you can, by the way, you can bid on a Zoom call with Allison Camerata. I, I don't... <laughs> I Coates, noticed. I don't think I hit you up. I'll hit you up next year. I'm sorry. It's that's okay. my no, bad. That's all right. my, it's that's okay. my I, I will be in the, I will, I will Zoom bomb her Zoom call. Yes. That, that <laughs> would be this. great. Like so, this. Hello. So that, would, that, would go, that would fetch a lot of money, number one. I noticed you, you promo Jennifer Aniston's purse yeah. more than the coffee Zoom with me, Jake. Any, <laughs> any I noticed reason? that. Well... I knew that I would have a chance to talk to you right now. It's not like I'm throwing to an episode of Friends and I had the opportunity. Like, this is, this is more run than I gave Jennifer Aniston's purse, which is right now, I think the bid's up to $5,000. Oh not God. saying that you're not worth that. Not saying that you're, you're right. not worth that. You are worth more than that. And, and it's particularly since Laura is going to Zoom bomb it, yeah. so that, obviously that will fetch much more. How does one do more. that? Can you just do like that? This. Can... It's this. I just did it. I went horizontal so you're go like that. Yeah. To her house. Okay. I like well, it. Didn't we, we're obviously yeah. living together now. We live together. <laughs> it's a whole thing. We're well, not realizing what's going on right understand. now. <laughs> I, we, we have to catch up because this do. is all some this lifestyle gone situations going on here I did not know about <laughs> at all. That's okay. great. All right, Kudos. Jake, um, excuse us. We have a show to do right sorry. now. Sorry. I know. I'm sorry. So, it's election Eve. All right, Jake, get some sleep. Bye, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerata. And I'm Laura Coates. And this is CNN Tonight. And here we go, everyone. The final two hours before Election Day in America, what may be the most consequential midterms of our entire lifetimes. Control of the House and the Senate are at stake. Everyone's out in force night across the country. Look at how crowded that map is. The candidates are finding and making their final pitches in key battleground states. The marquee events tonight tell you just how hard fought these races are, what they could mean for the future of America and for the future of Joe Biden's presidency. Folks, you got one day until one of the most important elections. You've heard this time and again. I almost feel guilty repeating it. Our lifetimes are going to be shaped by what happens the next year to three years. It's going to shape what the next couple decades look like. And in what could be a replay of 2020, former President Trump is on the trail tonight, campaigning for J.D. Vance in Ohio. That rally is still going on, but here is what he said just a little while ago. Poll numbers that are through the roof, and so do Republicans. This is going to be a wave. I think this is going to be a very big wave. All right, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. So here to do that with us, we have the hardest working man at CNN, John Berman, and CNN political commentators, Van Jones and David Irvin. Great to have all of you here. Van, let me start with you. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling on election eve? I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, I, I think that people have to remember the polls have been wrong before. <laughs> I, they, the polls have been wrong before. They were wrong in 2016. Uh, they were wrong in 2018. And I think that you got people out there fighting. You were just talking about, you know, uh, you know Pennsylvania. We were talking about that before. You've got grassroots organizations that are out there fighting right now. They're on the phones right now. Uh, Unite Here, uh, uh, Power in Action, Casa in Action, uh, One Vote Counts. These are folks who are not going to give up on democracy. And I'm excited. And you don't know what's going to happen until the, until the last vote's cast. David Urban's cracking up already, Listen, though. I, I am cautiously optimistic, right? Let's just put it that way. And, uh, and, and look, a little jealous that I'm not out there. For years, yeah. most, of my, most of my life, I've been out on the other side of this camera, out in Pennsylvania, knocking doors, you know, 
going to these rallies the night before, and there's something about democracy in action mm-hmm. that you, unless you're out there, you really can't get a sense of it, right? Going to those rallies and, and knocking doors and, and, and having doors slammed in your face, right? <laughs> and, and walking up to happened. a yard and walking up to a yard, yard full of, yeah. of Shapiro signs, right? When you're when you're campaigning for Oz, and it's just it, it's it's a great thing. It is yeah. democracy in action, and it's exciting and. Uh, you know, it's exciting to be part of it. Let me ask you, on a night like this, when you normally would have done that, both of you thinking about this, when these races are so deadlocked, it mm-hmm. seems, in these polls, and I know they're like polar coasters, we get that mm-hmm. from time to time, but what is the atmosphere like? Are, are there minds still left to be changed, even in this really 11th hour? You would be surprised how many people tonight don't know how they're going to vote tomorrow morning. Wow. There, there, are, there, there, no, there are people who literally are just now, they're turning on it to CNN, they're trying to make their decisions. Just because we live this stuff all day doesn't mean that everybody does. I better step and, up my game. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's, just a, it's just a fact. There are people right now who are still making up their mind. And I think we have to continue to make the case uh, that their votes matter. Some of these elections are going to be decided by 100 votes, 1,000 votes, 20 votes. And so you matter, and your, de- and your, your decision to, to, to push the, the country one way or another matters, and it matters tomorrow morning. When See, you I vote. think there are people who haven't decided whether they're going to vote at all. Sure, sure. That's I fine. think there are more of them. They're deciding, oh, let's see how the weather is tomorrow. Let's see if I'm hungry around noon, and maybe I'll go out and get a, a, a nosh and vote at the same uh-huh. time. I don't think there are that many people left or choosing between candidate A and candidate B, not who, not who will make a difference. Well, here are the closing arguments in Pennsylvania of Mehmet Oz and John Fetterman. So let's listen to what they said tonight. And every day I feel better and better. By January, I'll be even better. But, but, he'll, Dr. Oz will still be a fraud. He's made millions by scamming people. He sold miracle cures that I couldn't pronounce. Even before I had a stroke, I couldn't have ever done. I will bring balance to Washington, but John Fetterman, he'll bring more extreme. And there is no greater example, no greater example of two people that different running for the Senate. Um. David, you know Pennsylvania and the races there well. Yeah, yeah, so. And do you still think it's a heavy lift, a heavier lift for Dr. Oz? Uh, I, I think um, post-debate, you know, there was a there was a moment in this campaign where Dr. Oz went to Philadelphia, Frankfurt, um, uh, under the Frankfurt L there, kind of a shooting gallery, open air. Uh, and he went and talked to some of the folks on the street, put him in his car, took him to hospital, get rehabbed. And I think that really was a turning point in the race. A lot of people saw his humanity, saw him as a person, not a candidate. And I think the, the narrative changed there. And, and, and the debate was, was, a, was a milestone as well. Not necessarily because um, John Fetterman was, you know, kind of stumbled things. But I think the, the, the differences, you know, policy differences on fracking and other things that matter to Pennsylvanians really, really hit home. So I would give Oz a slight advantage here going into tomorrow night. But listen, it's never easy for Republican. I was a chief of staff to the United States senator there for who was for years and years. And every election, we just squeak it out as a Republican. He was a very moderate Republican. And Pat Toomey and, and others, it's a tough, it's a purple state. And it's really tough, no matter who it is. Uh, I, I think Fetterman uh, is beloved. <laughs> uh, and he, 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 he's, he's beloved wow. by, by Democrats, and he is authentic, and he's real. His pain is real. Um, but what's wrong with Fetterman will heal. Uh, his, something is wrong with his brain, but it will heal. And he's actually ahead of pace for most stroke victims. This time next year, he'll be fine. What's wrong with Oz can't heal. So something wrong with his heart. That is a guy who has ripped people off and ripped people off his entire life. Oprah Winfrey, who made him, won't back him. 
And so I think that at the end of the day, there's a passion for him at the grassroots level that is not contingent upon his health. They know his heart. They know who he is. And they're going to fight for him to the last Let world. me ask you, how influential or impactful do you all think it was to have Oprah Winfrey endorse him in the way he did? Now, I'm not suggesting... Better that to have her than think, not. Well, Better to have her than not. That, but I'm talking about but the timing of an endorsement oh. is always so critical in my mind. The idea of the when you, when you have early voting, it's already started. Um, why do you think there has been the delay in endorsing if she was going to do so for the many reasons she spoke about? And because it's happened now, does it make a difference? Look, I, I think that it's better to have it than not. I think had she done it earlier and or had she done it where she said something about Oz himself saying, this is why I can't vote for Oz here. I know Mehmet Oz. I've known him for this long, and yeah. this is why I can't vote for him now. Well, we which, know him because she knew him, right? right? Well, she didn't really do in this case. Look, no. I'm not saying Oprah should go negative, right? Right. But if she wanted to really help John Fetterman, that's what she would have done. And, and the one thing I'll say about Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, you say it's a purple state. It is. But it's redder than the rest of the country at this point. It is, it's a little bit, it's about three points more Republican than the rest of the country right now, at least. So the fact that it's a race at all actually shows, I think, what a not great candidate Oz is on paper. It's because of his deficiencies as a candidate that this is as close as it is. Well, so, so unfortunately, I helped, you know, Bang up Dr. Oz in a primary. <laughs> I was about so, to say, so I helped drive up those negatives. <laughs> so I helped drive up those negatives. But I would say a couple of things. I agree with you, John, on the Oprah part, right? So I, I, if I was if I was uh, Oz, I'd be running that Oprah endorsement because lots of places where they're going deer hunting, right, in Pennsylvania, Oprah Winfrey ain't carrying the day. If she would have come out and said, I worked with them, here are the facts, here are the reasoning behind my my endorsement, gone negative, I think that would have been much more impactful. And, and, and look, it, it's, it's a race where I've heard from a lot of people in Pennsylvania – not really thrilled about this guy, not really thrilled about that guy. So here's what I'm going to do, right? And, and so it, it is a tough place like that. And, uh, and look, uh, that's why we play football games on Sunday. That's exactly. why we have elections on Tuesday, because we're not leaving it up to the pollsters. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I heard Oz saying something about, you know, our neighbors are Democrats. We've got to good because the neighbors. You're right. Your neighbors are Democrats in New Jersey where you live. Like, that's, that's the, the, the guy is a complete phony. He's a complete fraud. And so I think that that at the end of the day, means something to people. And I think we'll see. And, and again, passion matters. The ground game matters. There's passion for Fetterman on the ground. There's not passion for Oz anyway. Uh, I don't see passion uh, for Oz Listen, anyway. listen I, I, just, I, I couldn't disagree with you more about a political candidate, right? Okay. So John Fetterman, you know, to be the mayor of Braddock, he won a handful of votes. It's a tiny election. To be the lieutenant governor, not really, no one really paid attention to that race either. So he's kind of skated to where he is. This race, you know, I, I would say if it was a Connor, Connor Lamb, he, he, he amazingly skated through this primary with two other very capable candidates, right? And, and his record on, on the parole board, Josh Shapiro was on, this, on the network just a little bit earlier, 200 times voted in opposition to John Fetterman. I'd like to hear that explanation, right? Fetterman, I wish we had a debate. Connor Lamb, though. He What's that? Connor yeah. Lamb's clock. He didn't skate. He <laughs> no, no, I understand. Because, just like, because John, just like, in pri- just like in a Republican primary, yeah. the Democratic primary is controlled by very progressive people. He's very a, conservative on the Republican, very progressive uh, on the Democratic Party. He's, he's a different kind of progressive. If the guy had not had the stroke, he'd be, he'd be 10 points. And listen, well, here's all I'm going to say. Can he not buy a suit? Can he not buy a suit? Hey, well, hold on. If the No one wears ties anymore. Gentlemen, uh, if the criteria is who wears a suit, there wouldn't be a congressman named Jim Jordan right now. So that's not the only criteria. No, no, at least he wears a tie, though. At least he wears a tie. Well, sometimes it rolls up sleeves, though, But right? we do need to just check out Ohio for a second. All right, because let's do it. former President Trump is stumping for J.D. Vance there. And there had been rumors, I think, 
planted by Donald Trump that he was going to be making a big announcement tonight, but we have gotten word that he is not going to be making any big... Well, that, that's the announcement. The announcement is there will be no announcement. Yes. We got punked again. Listen, the guy knows how to control the narrative, right? I mean, so he, he, early this morning... I may, I may announce. And then all day long, everyone's chasing. Is Donald Trump going to announce? Is he not going to announce? Is he going to announce? Up until, you know, 8 o'clock till Ooh. he goes on, everyone's wondering whether he's going to do it or not. But ultimately, Lucy pulls the football away. That's again. right. But ultimately, <laughs> David, is it your impression that he is going to oh, announce it or run for president? It, it, Donald sure. Trump is going to run for president Absolutely. for a variety of reasons. Mm. Don't even have to do with the presidency. Oh, well, you know what? We'll talk about it in about two years. No, about two months or maybe two days. We're going to go right now to the magic wall to break down five other key races outside of Pennsylvania to watch with Election Day now less than two hours away, everyone. All right, take tapes. It's down to the wire now, everyone. In a matter of hours, millions of Americans will make their voices heard. Millions, of course, already have in early voting, but we're going to start to tabulate them after that point. And control of the Senate could actually come down to just a few tight battlegrounds. CNN's Harry Enten joins us now at the Magic Wall with his key races to watch. Harry? Thanks, Laura. You know, you were just talking about two important states tomorrow that will be voting that will ultimately determine who controls the United States Senate, both Ohio and Pennsylvania. They're part of a slew of states that will really tell the picture in the United States Senate. Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, New Hampshire, as we said, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. But let's leave aside Ohio and Pennsylvania and zoom in on some of these other important uh, key, sing- key Senate races. So let's start in Arizona, where the incumbent Mark Kelly is facing a very tough matchup against Blake Masters. Keep in mind, Arizona, a state that Joe Biden won in 2020 by the smallest of margins, has traditionally been Republican. The question is, are voters in the Southwest going to go back to the Republican roots, or are they perhaps going to stick with Mark Kelly? We don't know yet. We'll see when all the votes come in. And the other part of the country, let's go to the Southeast, where we have this very interesting matchup between Senator Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democrat, versus Herschel Walker, the Republican. Remember, Warnock won his Senate seat in a runoff election back in January of 2021. There's a possibility that we could get another runoff here because there's a libertarian candidate. And remember, in the state of Georgia, you need at least a majority of the vote to win on election day. It it could be the case that neither of these two get a majority, and then we have a runoff come December to ultimately determine Senate control. We'll have to wait and see on that. Let's go back to the Southwest and talk about Nevada. Uh, Senator Catherine Cortez Mastow facing Adam Laxalt, who's the former attorney general in that state. I'm kind of interested to see, does Arizona go one way and Nevada go another way? They're both in the Southwest, heavily Hispanic population. We'll see what ultimately occurs there. Then sort of a late-breaking Senate race in New Hampshire. Senator Maggie Hassan facing off against Don Baldick, who, of course, won that primary with a slew of money actually coming from the Democrats supporting his campaign, or at least a third party supporting his campaign. This is a late-breaking race. This is a state that Joe Biden won, easily eclipsing Hillary Clinton's margin. But that was a state that went Democratic in 2016 as well by a very small margin. Will it go back to that, where we have a very tight margin? We'll see what happens. Finally, the state of Wisconsin, where Mandela Barnes is taking on Senator Rob Johnson, the Republican incumbent, perhaps the most endangered Republican incumbent. There's also a gubernatorial race there that's very, very tight. Will those two vote together? Will they vote separately? We're just going to have to wait and see. But of course, Wisconsin, an ultimate swing state. Back to you guys. 
Okay, Harry, thank you very much. Back with us to talk about all of this, we have John Berman, Van Jones, and David Urban. Okay, let's talk, let's start in Wisconsin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And let's start with how race has been injected into that race um, in a variety of ways. Um, let's start with the attack ads against uh, Mandela Barnes by Ron Johnson that some people see shades of some Willie Horton stuff happening. Mm. So let's watch some of this. More than 300 murders just last year. Terror at the Waukesha Christmas Parade. But defund the police radical Mandela Barnes still supports eliminating cash bail, releasing dangerous criminals back into our communities. Think crime is bad now? Mandela Barnes would make it worse. Barnes would eliminate cash bail even after the Waukesha Christmas Parade attack, supports amnesty and sanctuary cities for illegals, and had worked for a radical group that wants to defund the police. Mm. Um, okay, Van, your, your reaction to some of that? Well, look, um, you know, it, politics is not being bad. And so, you know, you got the right to, to throw hard punches. Um, it, it, it hurts to see it. It just feels like this is a guy who is a good man. He has worked hard in the community. Uh, a lot of people, Republicans and Democrats in the past years, have been trying to figure out ways to fix our criminal justice system so we aren't locking up so many people for no reason, for long reasons, for bad reasons. And some of that stuff hasn't worked out well. We should stay together and try to fix it. When you take somebody and you put those kind of images up, though, and you have that kind of scary music, I don't know what the intention is, but it makes me feel very tight and very nervous, and it makes me feel like the racialized fear of crime is being used for political gain. And I just don't think it's necessary. I don't think that it's right. I don't think that it's fair. I think it misrepresents him. That's his politics. But there's something in that approach that I think is beneath uh, the senator uh, and is unfortunate. Let me tell you, you know, when you're talking about, I think it needs to be clarified, and we're talking about cash bail, mm -hmm. I think there's oftentimes this idea that no one ever judges whether someone gets released pretrial except for on a cash system. The federal system does not do a cash bail system. It's up to a judge to be able to decide the severity of the crime, whether the person is a harm to the community or to the community. And so it's not unheard of, but I actually had a chance to speak to Mandela Barnes today on my SiriusXM show, and I asked him about these ads because I was really wondering about the notion, how did he take it? How did he perceive this sort of thing? And here was his response. The thing is, I'm not personally offended, right? Like, I, it, they're dumb. The, you know, the, ad, the, the, the ads are, you know, they're stupid. Let's just call them what they are. And it's a ploy for Ron Johnson to distract from, you know, the fact that he's done nothing for us. And I'll tell you, uh, one of the things about it is there has been more spending in this uh, race than in the history of the state of Wisconsin, most expensive race in our entire history in Wisconsin. And there aren't ads talking about Ron Johnson or the things that he's done because there aren't any. I'm not personally offended. Like I said, I put my name on the ballot. I'm offended uh, for the people of Wisconsin, the people who have been made to feel like they are less than because some of the things they see and hear on the ad and see themselves reflected. I mean, a point that he's trying to make about not personalizing this, right, and the idea of what it's saying about the electorate. But that's an interesting point, John, the idea of talking about it from the perspective of if attack ads is the main vehicle, what does that say to the electorate about perhaps this continuing issue about how people perceive the quality of the candidates, in this case, an incumbent? 
Look, we see attack ads because they work. I mean, I, I think that's the, you know, the two political hacks over there. And I say that nicely. It's distasteful, but it does move the numbers. Yeah, they're nodding Ooh. as soon as they say it. People use them because they work. It's easier to say something simple like that in one line than it is to lay out your entire resume in, in a 30-second spot. And that's just the sad fact about American politics there. And as I think Van actually gave an answer that had Mandela Barnes been giving that answer for the last two months on the crime thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he would have inoculated himself mm-hmm. to it, but it, it would have moved him further along. The, the fact is, there is a perceived crime issue now yeah. across it's, the country. We're, 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 diff- we're a different spot now, and you know, we, we've worked together trying yeah, to fix Van and I actually yeah. worked together on the on First Step Act, exactly. right? We so, worked together in the uh, Trump administration. That's my point, yeah, exactly. is that so, the that, issues like cash bail and these things were bipartisan yeah. issues. What got us to this point in many different states, it was actually a bipartisan yeah honest effort and now it's being well i want to know though in your mind why did these acts act, um, ads work that, that, that's the key not to just, people not, not just that mandela barred that but like any negative ad works right negativity it, bias it, negativity it, it works right it drives the numbers down you're 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 talking about the oz fetterman race right both have extremely high negatives why because they attacked each other and drove those up right and so but people there's still say, the well, conflation I, really wanna, yeah. I mean the, i think the point he's making and what we're talking about as well and we're talking about crime in particular is i want to hone in why did why do you think it's impactful you mentioned the idea of the the racialized fear of crime maybe it's the conflation of the negative negativity in general more broadly and they did mention in one of the ads this waukesha, tragic yeah. waukesha christmas parade which Unbelievable mm-hmm. to think that it even happened. Um, do you think that it's the the idea of the different lightning rods combined that's making that the case? That's making this ad particularly distasteful. Well, well if you think so, I just look. I, I I I'm not a big fan of negative ads at all. Every campaign when I'm watching, people are showing you the three ads and they say, "Which one do you like?" Mm-hmm. I never vote for the night. It's just mm-hmm. terrible. And, they, and then they show you the numbers, and then the candidates, you know, regrettably say, "Oh, they begrudgingly kind of say, okay, we'll run it.'" Right? And that happens in every campaign. Nobody wants to do this, but you know, they're shown that they move. It's like Allison said. So I, I don't know particularly why this is. Maybe this, you know, the Waukesha case is being tried. In, you know, right now we see the gentleman in court every day. Convicted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but we saw that going on for a long time, right? And so that's being played real time in Wisconsin. So you know, I, I think it all just kind of. Moves the numbers. All right. To gentlemen. be clear, though, these aren't. This ad wasn't done by Senator Johnson, right? This is not his campaign. I'm actually not sure. I don't believe that was his expenditure. I think the one, the one thing I do want to say to people is that there's no. Listen, I am a black dad trying to raise two now three black kids in Los Angeles. I am not a part of the pro crime caucus, and I don't know anybody who is. Mm-hmm. People are honestly trying to figure out how to use resources that we have to get as much safety as possible. And if you begin to make certain changes, if you punish people for the few outliers who do something bad, you never get a chance to fix the system. So this is not just poisons to this campaign, it's poisons to our ability to actually get the community safety that we need. Gentlemen, thank you very much for all of that. We have a lot more to talk about. President Biden and former President Trump campaigning to boost their own parties, of course. And though they are not on the ballot this year, these midterms will have a huge impact on their futures and all of ours. Presidential historian John Meacham is here to talk about that next. Former President Trump out campaigning tonight, saying that he is saying this while campaigning for J.D. Vance in Ohio. Not to detract from tomorrow's very important, even critical election. And I would say, in the strongest way, it's a country-saving election. 
specifically including the election of all the people that I'm going to name. I'm going to be making a very big announcement on Tuesday, November 15th at Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. The music really adds a poignancy to his uh, speech there. And with millions of voters heading to the polls in just a few hours, the political futures of both the former president and President Biden are also on the ticket. So joining us now, we have presidential historian John Meacham. John, I want a music bed to just play while I say anything. I mean, that that really lends, I feel, a sort of historical importance to it. I'm trying to get the Battle Hymn of the Republic to play as my background. So maybe y'all could work on it. That would be great. Um, how does what happens tomorrow, which whatever happens, whichever way it swings, define the political futures of Donald Trump and Joe Biden? Well, it's a fundamental election uh, about whether the Congress, uh, where the Congress will be, where the governors will be, where the secretaries of state will be, uh, going into a really consequential 24 months. And I think what we're looking at is a issue that is largely, and you're supposed to modify unprecedented, but, but I think it, this is largely unprecedented in that in 1932, Herbert Hoover didn't lose to Franklin Roosevelt and then put election deniers on the ballot in 1934 in order to come back in 1936. You know, Hubert Humphrey didn't do that in 1968 and 70 and 72. And so there's an immense uh, question facing the country, which is about the full, free, and legitimate counting of votes. And that will be shaped fundamentally by what happens tomorrow. John, has there ever been a time in history where an entire swath of a party has denied the results of an election or refused to accept their loss? I don't think so. Uh, I certainly can't think of anything. Uh, that's been the, it's been a remarkable characteristic, right? I mean, the American Constitution's imperfect, uh, obviously. Uh, it's taken amendment, it's taken reform, it's taken an immense struggle to, uh, you know, the Constitution's kind of our user's guide, the Declaration of Independence is our uh, mission statement. And, but we have managed, by and large, to create a politics that has been a mediation of differences and not simply a battlefield for total war. And to have this many folks telling pollsters, whether it's exaggerated or not, that they believe the most uh, examined election in American history is illegitimate is a, is, a, is a problem. And it's a fundamental problem because the popular will has to undergird uh, the rule of law and the Constitution. And the fact that people like me have to say this and that you're asking questions like that is a sign of where we are and how important this is. If Republicans win um, the House and even the Senate tomorrow, what happens to the future of Joe Biden's presidency? Well, the president's been through a lot of ups and downs in his life uh, and in his career. And I think uh, he'll confront it as he's confronted everything else. Uh, I would think, uh, again, he's my friend. Uh, I uh, help him when I, when I can. So take this for what, it, for what it's worth. Uh, but I think that he, he believes in the mission of the country 
to make the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and I think that he will see his duty going forward to continue to stand up for these perennial principles that could be under more prolonged attack. As you know, George W. Bush described his party's loss in 2006 as a thumping. And then Barack Obama described his party's loss in 2010 as a shellacking. Have you thought of a verb for what might happen tomorrow? No, I haven't thought of a verb, but, you know, it's and this is not to excuse what what may or may not happen. But, you know, Harry Truman won World War Two and lost 55 seats in the House uh, and 12 Senate seats. And uh, this happened to President Reagan. It, 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 it happens. And it's part of the nature of the American experiment is we tend to put a check on the person who only 24 months before we entrusted with ultimate power. Uh, it was part of the constitutional design uh, was to have the House and a third of the Senate close to the people, closer uh, so that the popular will could Here's the question. If you believe in democracy when you win, you also have to believe in it when you lose. And that's the lesson that I think if, if that can be absorbed, and made real, then the American experiment charges up. Well, obviously everyone should read your book about Lincoln because he was doing that gracefully. Uh, he was willing to do it, I should say, gracefully. Um, but, you know, we're in a different time. Uh, but John Meacham, it's always great to talk to you. We always feel smarter after talking to you. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk soon. Where's my, where's my music? Where's my <laughs> You're right. We're going to strike up the uh, in-house band that we have here very soon. Thanks, John. Um, that's I mean, he's so right. Obviously, yeah. if history is any guide, then the party in power loses in the midterms. The Democrats will lose seats in the midterms. That's generally what happens in history because yeah. it's interesting. There's sort of a natural checks and balances, as he's describing. Yeah. But nothing seems to be happening as predictable lately. Well, no, I mean, you've got this theory of inertia, right? Things that tend to stay in motion until they're disrupted by an external force. Hashtag high school. Um, <laughs> but the January 6th and the Dobbs decision, many thought might be those external forces. The idea of election denialism. We're wondering what impact that's going to have on all of this. But I think his point about you have to believe in democracy when you win and when you lose is going to be really key to see just how long of a week it really is going to be in terms of thinking about what happens. Listen, everyone, black voters and women did help propel President Biden to victory in 2020. Remember his comments about having one's back. But have the Democrats lost ground to the GOP among those very groups? We're going to talk about it next. So is the GOP gaining support from black and Latino voters? That's what the Wall Street Journal finds in their latest poll. It shows about 17 percent of black voters would pick a Republican candidate for Congress over a Democrat. It also found Democrats losing some support from Latino voters, with the party holding just a five percentage point lead over Republicans in October. That's compared to an 11 point lead in August. Joining us now is Congresswoman Sherry Bustos, an Illinois Democrat and former Democratic Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick. Great to see both of you. Absolutely. And I want to start with you, Governor, on this point, because um, for many people looking at these issues, it seems that Democrats are losing a lot of ground to the Republican Party. It's not an immediate change. It's not going to happen overnight. 
But how do you see this notion of the inroads that have been made? What do you attribute it to? Well, first of all, I think Democrats know or ought to know not to take any voter or any vote for granted. I think that's why the best campaigns are working at the grassroots, close to people, and not just talking to them, but listening to them. I've been working through an organization called Bridge Together, which is uh, providing funds to local existing grassroots groups so they can build up their organizing and community building uh, capacity all year round. And I'd like to see us do that in all 50 states. Because I think that is how we lay a claim, not an assumption, but really make a case to every single voter for the importance of supporting the policies that we're driving. In fact, the importance of telling us the policies we should be driving that'll make a difference in their lives. So you see the grassroots advocacy as a way to broaden the base. Do you see grassroots advocacy as the main vehicle to address what seems to be driving a lot of the inroads, which is economy? inflation. Is that the best way to do it? Well, I think that's an important part of it. I think we also have to back it up with action. And Democrats, frankly, are the only ones with a plan of action. You know, it's listening to people at the grassroots that causes, I think, the best campaigns and the best office holders uh, to appreciate that people are worried about paying for groceries, paying the rent, uh, you know, paying for health care costs. And in every one of those areas, there are actions that the Biden administration and the Democratic Congress have taken uh, to address those. If you listen to Republicans, what Republican candidates are saying today is, look, there's a problem. That is their problem. But they have no answer, no solution. Hmm. And so the question is, are we going to have a party that is actually uh, interested in putting government to work to work for people? Uh, which is the case with Democrats, I believe. And in this cycle, uh, uh, Republicans who want to turn their government on people, Hmm. Uh, like, for example, taking away a woman's right to choose. Yeah. And so let's talk about women also, Congresswoman. Congresswoman. So it's not just that uh, Republicans seem to be making inroads with Latinos and blacks. There's a poll from CNN that in terms of uh, female voters... In 2018, 59% of them backed Democratic uh, congressional candidates. This year, 53%. So it's gone down. So you uh, have such an interesting perspective as a Democrat who won in a Trump district. So what do you think is going on? I think it's uh, what what, uh, women in the suburbs and families are paying every time they go to the grocery store. And uh, frankly, as Democrats, we need to be disciplined and we need to be relentless and we need to tell our own story that we're just not telling. Um, If you just take a look at the policies, the legislation that we have passed as Democrats, in some cases without any help from our our colleagues across the aisle, um, we are just not telling that story loudly enough, uh, loudly enough and enough, period. And so what happens is you go to the grocery store, you're paying way too much for a slab of bacon, way too much for a dozen eggs, and people are looking for somebody to blame. And because we have not told our story loudly enough about the Inflation Reduction Act or that we are doing our best to try to address this worldwide problem of paying too much at the uh, at the gas pump. Um, and so if you look back to 2018, I would argue that part of the reason that we won back the majority then is we were very disciplined in our message. We made a decision that we weren't going to stay focused on Donald Trump, but we were going to stay focused on bringing down the cost of things when you went to the grocery store and 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 you bought something. 
that we were going to bring down the cost of health care and that we were going to try to our best to clean up the mess in Washington. But so, Congresswoman, and for so this we shot were, around, I mean, do you think that they've missed an opportunity, the Democrats have missed an opportunity with not leaning more into the economic issues you just outlined? Well, yeah, so we had the reversal of Roe versus Wade that happened months ago. I think we thought that we were going to be able to ride that into the sunset on November 8th, tomorrow now, just a few hours away, and thought that that was going to, to be our savior. Well, it's it's not going to be our savior. Um, it, it, I, um, I, I don't know how you think my hair looks, but I, I got my hair cut today. And uh, if, if you think it looks good, you can give my, my uh, hairdresser credit. But um, I had a deep conversation with her. If you think about somebody who's cutting hair day in and day out, they're talking to a lot of people from across the spectrum. Um, and I just asked her, I said, what's on your mind? She's going to go to the polls tomorrow. And, and she said it was the fact that we live in the heartland right here in downstate Illinois. In the congressional district I represent, there are close to 10,000 family farms. And she said, I don't understand why we can have farms all around us and groceries are so expensive. You know, most people aren't studying politics day in and day out, and they don't understand it, and they don't know who's fighting for them because we're not telling that story loudly enough or clearly enough. Well, your hair looks great. <laughs> Shout out to your hairdresser. So uh, does the governor's hair, <laughs> by yes, the way. We yeah. don't want to leave you out. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to leave you out, sir. Uh, Congresswoman Sherry Bustos, Governor Deval Patrick, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us tonight. Good to be with you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, Speaker Nancy Pelosi has an exclusive interview with Anderson Cooper and what she is saying now about the attack on her husband, Paul. It's the first time that she's speaking about it. That's next. Now a CNN exclusive for you. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi giving her first interview since the hammer attack on her husband to CNN's Anderson Cooper. So during the interview, Speaker Pelosi understandably got emotional, revealing the attack will impact her decision over her political future after the midterms. Have you looked ahead and, I mean, have you made a decision in your mind, whatever that decision might be? Well, I have to say my decision will be affected about what happened the last week or two. Will it be, will your decision be impacted by the attack in any way? Yes. It will? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that is a crying shame. Yeah. Because then mission accomplished. That's yeah. exactly the purpose of political violence, yeah. which is to scare the people in power out of power, to send a chilling effect on anybody considering, you know, a run. And I'm surprised to hear her say that because she has, you know, weathered so many challenges and obstacles and everything and January 6th and other scary things. But um, obviously this one was, I mean, close to home is is obviously not the right uh, well, it's, no, it's accurate. accurate though. It, was, it, was, it was literally in her home. In her and home. she mentioned yes. during the interview that look, she, that her husband was not the target. But it's, maybe it's because of what she weathered. And I agree with you. The idea of having political violence and threats and a kind of terror, attempting to influence your decisions happening right now and being accomplished. But then imagine, imagine if it were you with them in the, watching the videos of General Ray 6 calling for you. I mean, it's just something that you, you wonder just what people are thinking and where we are today. It's also interesting to hear her say that she has not listened yeah. to the 911 call from the attack of, you know, her husband calling uh, for help. She's not seen any of the footage and she says she doesn't want to. 
Have you been able to, to listen to the 911 call? No. I haven't been able to listen to that or the body cam, any of that, no. I imagine when it is in the public domain is when I will have a chance to see it. But even then, <clears throat> the physician... Do you want to hear it? <clears throat> I don't think so. I don't think so. But I don't know if I'll have to. I, don't, I just don't know. Yeah. That's all a matter <clears throat> on the legal side of things. Yeah. Just can you remember back, remember that footage of how calm and determined and focused she was on January 6th? And with the phone to her ear, there's almost that Slim Jim moment we were all talking about. And the idea of how she was able to compartmentalize in so many respects, the blurring with her husband, with her family. Well, I mean, that's why I'm awful. surprised to, I mean, obviously she's human. So of, of course. course this will Im impact her. But that's why I was surprised to say that it will affect her decision about her political future because we've seen her um, so capable in moments like that. Yeah. But this one is different. Of course. Well, we will see. And we're only a few hours away, really, from the tabulation of those midterm elections. And these just won't impact who controls Congress. They also have a huge impact and implications for 2024. What all of this means for the next presidential race, up next. We're now less than an hour away from Election Day, and candidates are making their final pitch to voters tonight in an election that really could change the entire future of this country. There are razor-thin margins in multiple races that will determine who controls Congress. Here's what's on the line. 435 House seats, 35 Senate races, 36 governor races. Let's bring in CNN's John Berman. We also have CNN political commentators Karen Finney and David Urban. Um, so, Karen, welcome. And <laughs> uh, we were just talking to John Meacham, who basically said, if history's any guide, it's usually the opposite party of who controls the White House that wins in the midterms, as we all know, which would mean that tomorrow would be good for Republicans, bad for Democrats. Are you seeing any signs to the contrary that you'd like to share? <laughs> I am. I have to say, I'm very optimistic. He's laughing at me. I can, I can just feel it. I said next to Van and you, the two most optimistic Democrats well, in America. Okay, but... 40 million people have already turned out. That is, and 36 million by this point had turned out in 2018. That is just good for democracy. That's great. Absolutely. Tell me it's not. That's it's great for democracy. So, you know, and we're seeing high turnout out among women uh, in a number of key states as well. So, look, I think let's let the voters have their say. Let's not tell them what they're going to do. Let's let them tell us what they're going to do. And I do feel optimistic about the fact that um, I don't think it's going to be a shellacking. I just don't buy that. Um, and I think we know that a lot of Democratic voters, including young people, show up on Election Day. So I, I'm optimistic. I know that seems kind of crazy, given all the gloom and doom. Um, but I, I, I think it's going to be an interesting day. I'll tell you the races that I'm watching. Yeah. Um, last thing I'll say is actually these attorney general, state attorneys general, because that is going, in addition to those governor's races, that's going to tell us a lot about 2024, actually, because they will control the levers of democracy in those states. Yeah, such an important point on that notion. But also, I mean, much as we're talking about the optimism maybe seeming crazy to people, we're also talking about 2024 already, before we even get to tomorrow's race. We're, already, we're literally just we're, talking about we're, we're literally talking about 2024, right? And the idea of how much these midterm election results are going to be maybe instructive in some respect of what to expect 
in 2024. I mean, some of the names of people who are actually on the ballot tomorrow, Allison, are already being floated as possible 2024 candidates. I mean, look down in Florida, for example, Pennsylvania as well. When you think about that, John, what, what do you think about the idea that we're already not even on the the tabulation part of the midterms. And people are thinking, what will this mean for 2024? Oh, oh, look, David Urban and I were talking about Josh Shapiro, who hasn't even been elected or not governor of Pennsylvania tomorrow, (laughs) about whether he would be a leading candidate in 2024 should Biden not run. I think it's the perfect time to speculate about the next election before this one. Listen, it's What's the only reason Karen can be optimistic, people? right? You can talk about, you can talk about the future of the Democratic Party stop, starting tonight. Stop, but I also think stop. in addition to the candidates who may or may not win tomorrow, there's also the dynamic with Donald Trump, who just yeah. announced he's going to make an announcement on November 15th. And you can see the dominoes starting to fall. So Trump announces on the 15th. I happen to think that if Trump runs, Biden runs or at least doesn't announce he's not running, stays in it for a long time, so freezes a little bit of the Democratic field, or does he? Do any Democrats say they're going to primary him? Do any Republicans have the guts to say they're going to run against Trump? I happen to think that a number of these Republicans, like Ron DeSantis, have to. He has to run if he ever wants to be president. So things get very interesting and like you said, an hour. In 56 minutes, things start to get I mean, very as if things weren't interesting yeah. enough. Right. As yes. if these midterms weren't interesting enough. A case in point, Georgia. You know, yes. all eyes on Georgia. That has been such a hot spot. So here are the not necessarily closing arguments of the candidates there, uh, Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker, but certainly their predictions. <laughs> Everybody's asking me what's going to happen tomorrow. Listen, I am making the case. It's really in your hands. If the people show up, I win. If the people of Georgia show up, I win. If the people of Georgia show up, we win. Are you ready to win this election? And they're talking about a runoff. And I'm like, runoff? Runoff? Are you talking about runoff? No, we're winning this. We ain't talking about no runoff. We're winning this. When we leave, when we leave tomorrow night, we're leaving as winners. Hmm. I didn't David. hear go dogs there, but like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> is he, is her, uh, is uh, Senator Warnock right? If there's high voter turnout, he wins in Georgia. Look, I, I would think yes, right? I mean, I think that uh, that was the, the model that the Democrats are looking for. They're trying to get enthusiasm up, obviously. Uh, you know, they pump up enthusiasm, they, they get the vote out, and I think he, he'll squeak it by. But look, I don't think he gets the 50%, so that's the, does he win? I, I don't know if he wins, right? And unfortunately, um, uh, Herschel Liberty's probably going to be a runoff, right? I, I heard our colleague Scott Jennings um, earlier in the night talking about how this third-party candidate right. um, who had been running, um, the, the Republicans kind of micro-targeted, kind of ebb away at his, at his lead and nibble down the percentage that he was taking so that, uh, that Herschel may garner some more of that and get to the 50.1% needed so there won't be a runoff. But well, we could be here till December 6th just talking about this race, right? Oh, for sure. this again. prologue, right? Here we are again, right? Right. Talking about Georgia. Georgia again. Once right. again, Georgia is part of the, uh, the entire fabric of why we even have the balance of power we have right now for those very reasons. I want to bring in Hedrick Richmond right now, a senior advisor to the DNC and former senior advisor to President Biden. Hedrick, you know, it's interesting because we're all talking about the idea of whether optimism is warranted or whether past will truly be prologue. How are you feeling about the Democrats' chance of maintaining the majority in both chambers of Congress tonight, let alone the down-ballot races? I'm optimistic. Look, we knew it would be uh, tough to hold if you look at what's happened over the last hundred years. Uh, First-term presidents usually uh, lose a lot of seats 
Uh, we think we have reversed that trend and we're looking forward to what happens tomorrow. But right now, everyone's focused on uh, closing strong and getting the vote out uh, tomorrow. The other thing I would just say is that we know that this will not be settled tomorrow, that it will be uh, days and days to make sure that every vote is counted. And we believe when every vote is counted, uh, our candidates are going to prevail. Is that why you think that President Biden had his closing arguments about democracy and the prospect of people maybe in, uh, engaging in election denialism throughout the midterm elections? Are you concerned that this will be something that not only is the long haul and the general tabulation, but more importantly, that this will be another reflection about the strength of our democracy if that denialism continues? The president has been consistent about... I think we have a problem with... I don't know if hear his audio. I was elected. I think that part of what... I think part of what this president has done is being very consistent. Uh, he's always talked about the fragile democracy that we have and the need to protect it. And if you look at uh, current events, uh, we all see uh, that this democracy uh, needs attention. And I think that he's just pointing that out while not ignoring the fact that people are facing real pressures at the dining room table uh, concerning cost. And he's highlighting his uh, work to bring down uh, those costs at the end of the month that families face. He indeed is being consistent, but that consistency of not focusing maybe as a higher priority of the economy does have some people in the Democratic Party's um, feathers ruffled. In fact, Dana Bash was speaking to Hillary Rosen, who's a longtime Democratic strategist, and she is pretty upset with your party. I want to play for a second what this says, what she had to say, and get your reaction. This is on State of the Union, sir. I'm a loyal Democrat, but I am not happy. I just think that we are, you know, we did not listen to voters in this election. And I think we're going to have a bad night. When voters tell you over and over and over again that they care mostly about the economy, listen to them. Stop talking about democracy being at stake. So I've heard this criticism a number of times now, and I'm wondering if you can address the idea that there are some who believe that President Biden, by focusing on democracy in peril, that he has exclusively focused on that, as opposed to being able to maybe walk and chew gum at the same time from the Oval Office. Can you address whether you think the President of the United States and the Democratic Party more broadly has done a good job of persuading voters that they are focusing on the breadth of issues around that kitchen table? Well, I think Democrats should be highlighting and talking about their accomplishments to bring down those costs, whether it's capping the price of insulin, whether it's bringing down the cost of prescription drugs, whether it's bringing the, down the cost of health care, which we all know uh, people look at at the end of the month in terms of their spending. If you look at what he did with uh, student loans to give uh, college graduates more breathing room, all of those are things he's doing to bring down uh, the cost that people face. And then if you reverse that, Republicans are saying on day one, they're going to repeal all those things that reduces household costs. So they're going to bring up costs. But let me just say one thing about President Biden, uh, which uh, I think is very serious. Uh, political pundits and politicians only concern themselves with the next election. Uh, statesmen concern themselves with the next generation. And if we look at what happened to Speaker Pelosi's husband, Paul, uh, we would be irresponsible to not talk about the danger uh, that we face in protecting this democracy. So while some people have the ability to just sit back and talk about strictly a next election, uh, I think that that would be irresponsible. And I think it's important for voters to know 
uh, the different extremes that the parties uh, represent. And I think it's a good closing argument when you highlight differences in the parties. Cedric Richmond, thank you so much. Nice talking to you. Thanks for having me. You know, we think about the idea of the closing argument, you know, just by nature of being a lawyer, I think about, well, that also means they had to actually develop an entire case. This was just the end. So maybe voters are convinced. Who knows? Yes, we will not know. Possibly <laughs> even tomorrow. Uh, we've been warned to get very comfortable. Uh, I asked for a Murphy bed. <laughs> I was turned down. You're going to need it. You're on it very early and late hours. All right, so there are already, believe it or not, some legal battles playing out that could impact which votes get counted. And we're going to explain where and what next. We're just a few hours away now from the very first polls opening on Election Day, but already lawsuits and challenges are already in play. Efforts have the potential to impact the outcome of the crucial battleground races. So what should we be looking out for as votes begin to be counted tomorrow? Joining us now to discuss, CNN legal analyst and former federal prosecutor, Elliot Williams. Elliot, I'm glad you're here to help us unpack all of these things. So where are the key challenges happening as we get ready for these votes to start being counted? Yeah, you know, counsel, there's nothing new about uh, challenges being made to to elections in the United States. Look, it's 50 states. Each of them has their own system. There's civil rights at issue here. Of course, people are going to, to bring lawsuits. Now, the, the issue now is that they're happening before Election Day, and that's a very big deal. So let's look at some of the states. Look, Pennsylvania is really one to watch right now. In Pennsylvania, what you have, in order to cast an, a- an absentee ballot, you, the voters have to sign a, an, an envelope and put their ballot in it. Now, look, thousands of people got this wrong in the state of Pennsylvania. It's a minor error, relatively, but at the end of the day, that might have invalidated their ballots. There's litigation right now over what to do with them. Now, they won't be counted on Election Day, but will they be treated as valid? So that will be one to watch. And look, you have a very, very close set of races there for governor and senator. And at the end of the day, those votes may not be counted. And that could be the difference in Pennsylvania. So moving uh, further west, which takes you to Michigan, there was a state, uh, there was a suit there where the Republican Secretary of State nominee in Michigan uh, sued to invalidate thousands of ballots in Detroit. Now, a judge that looked at that one really shredded the lawsuit, saying it wasn't based in in really uh, much, if any, evidence and raised the question of why this candidate was targeting Detroit. Look, Michigan has 10 million people in it. Why are you focusing your election challenge on just the one highly Democratic city uh, in the state of Michigan? So there were questions about the partisan makeup um, or the the partisan backdrop of the lawsuit there. So that one's not likely... uh, to succeed, but it, but it's out there uh, and a big one. Moving to Wisconsin, further west. I think we're moving from from east to west here. But in Wisconsin, also a big battleground state, and, and it's um, um, so. What's happened there is this question of curing a ballot. Right. When someone makes a mistake on their ballot, what do you do with it? Now, Wisconsin allowed election workers um, to cure or fix, in effect, uh, signature information on ballots. And that created uh, uh, a series of lawsuits. Republicans ultimately won that one. And then finally, Arizona, another battle. These all seem to be happening in battleground states, Mm, Laura. Funny how that works. Rather curiously. But um, but in Arizona, you know, there were questions of state workers, election workers, um, the the, party. 
partisan makeup of them. A number of states have rules over the number of Democrats and number of Republicans who can be election workers. There were challenges there, and those are going to continue. I mean, you've got these challenges as you lay out, the idea of how to cure the ballot, ideas yeah. that could be clerical in error in terms of putting the date on the envelope, whether it's on the outside as required in some states, whether those can be cured before the election day. We're hours away now, so the curing period's probably not there. But we are seeing as well, for election day, Elliot, we are already seeing in places like Arizona, for example, that there have been acts of possible voter intimidation. And I'm wondering, given that we've already seen this, are you concerned at all? Or are there legal challenges right now surrounding the presence of people who are outside the polls trying to possibly intimidate voters either not to show up or to persuade how they actually vote? I, I, you know, I think I would look for those tomorrow in particular and, and beyond as people start showing up uh, to the vote. Now, certainly there have been a number of suits, certainly in past elections, but already in this election cycle with sort of armed security guards, uh, you know, folks who, who claim to be deputized by the state um, patrolling uh, uh, um, people as they voted. So that's going to keep coming up. But certainly um, uh, this is going to continue to be an issue, this idea of can voters, what what does it take to secure the, the, the ballot box, right? What does it take? And at the end of the day, um, there's the possibility that the voters might be intimidated and have legal challenges to raise there. So important to keep an eye on all these things. These issues are going to likely arise continuously, Allison, and thinking about where things stand, because thank you, Elliot, on trying to make sure this is very holistic and we approach it in the way, because we are going to have challenges. There's already been lawsuits filed about the counting. In some of these battleground states, it might turn on the battles, the ballots that are already being challenged. So let's zero in on one of the ones that mm-hmm. Elliot was just talking about. Let's turn to the battle playing out in Pennsylvania where a decision on whether to count ballots with a date error on the outer envelope, that could have a big impact. CNN's Brian Todd has the details for us. Brian. Laura Allison, it's a real scramble to count all the absentee and mail-in ballots in Pennsylvania because between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, where we are, about 4,400 of those are in danger of being rejected. Why? Because they were incorrectly dated on these envelopes. These are the voter declaration envelopes. You sign here, and then you date down here. Well, in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, about 4,400 people either didn't date this properly or they put no date on, and those ballots are in danger of being rejected, and that's according to a new ruling by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Now, you can go into your county election office and fix that, meaning cure it, and fix the date. You had all day today to do that, and you have all day tomorrow to do that, or you can vote provisionally on election day to correct that, and those provisional votes will be counted later. But it's crucial because in Pennsylvania, in 2020, mail-in and absentee votes accounted for about a third of the votes. Laura, Allison? Okay, Brian, thank you very much. And joining us now to discuss this is Al Schmidt. He's the former city commissioner of Philadelphia. Al, thanks for being here. So are these, uh, how big of a problem is it, these 4,400 ballots between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia that somebody forgot to put the date on the outer envelope? Well, for a state like Pennsylvania, which is very much a swing state, which will likely have a race for the United States Senate that will determine control of, uh, of of the Senate. Um, it, it's distressing mainly because it's a transparent and cynical attempt to prevent voters' votes from being counted. Uh, and what makes you say that? Meaning- I mean, how do you know that this is a cynical attempt? 
having run elections for the past 10 years in Philadelphia, the Board of Elections knows when they mail the ballot out to the voter, and they know when they receive that ballot back on or before Election Day by 8 p.m. So whether the the voter puts their birthday instead of the date or something like that really has nothing to do with whether it's a registered voter who's eligible to vote or whether that's that voter's vote. It is a meaningless technicality. Unfortunately, the way the law is written, the courts have deferred to the way the law is written. Consequently, we're going to see thousands of voters' votes uh, in, in jeopardy as a result. Are election officials going to be able to remedy this? If there are 4,400 of these outer envelopes that don't have the right date, are they calling voters? How are they going to fix this? Yeah, they're, they're really hustling to let them know in time. And it doesn't allow the voter to cast two votes. Their first vote ballot, rather, isn't going to be counted. It, it gives them an opportunity to still have their vote count. And they are both notifying them by email, if they provide an email address, and also posting lists of voters who, for one fatal defect or another, have uh, their ballot brought into question, whether it's not signing it, whether it's not dating it, or whether it's not putting it in what's called a secrecy envelope that the ballot goes inside of, and then the secrecy envelope goes in the outer uh, declaration envelope. The fact that the majority of these are out of Philadelphia, do you think that's indicative of anything? Uh, yes, and, and it's pretty conspicuous. And, and all this is being done in the name of election integrity. There is no evidence of a single fraudulent vote that would have been blocked by any of these measures. But there's plenty of evidence of legitimate votes cast by eligible voters that will not be counted as a result of this. Well, they have their work cut out for them. We'll see if they can reach these 4,400 uh, voters and what happens tomorrow and this week. Al Schmidt, thank you very much for explaining this challenge to us. So, Laura, I mean, his point is they're qualified voters. They're yeah. registered voters. Their votes should count. But the law, I mean, the courts have decided that you have to date accurately that outer secrecy envelope. Mm -hmm. Well, that was part of the, the concern when this was first put in place, the idea of how would you get the message out to voters to ensure that they were doing it correctly, because there was always this concern that people would get it wrong, that human error would come into play and people would be very enraged, frankly, about not having their votes count. But that's been part of the whole plan. The get out to vote campaigns and strategies have tried to include the here's how you actually vote and have it be clear. So not a lot of recourse, but we'll see what happens tomorrow. I can't tell you how many of my checks have the wrong date on it. <laughs> I also forget to sign them routinely. <laughs> then they get returned. That might be a different problem. Yeah, it is a different right, problem. If those checks are rubber, there's a whole <laughs> well, different problem that's another at that problem. point. Of it. But you know what? The votes might not be tomorrow. If the 2020 election showed us anything, it could be that we've got quite a while to go before we're actually going to know the full election results and also the dates of Allison's checks. So when can we pick to find out this time? Well, we'll talk about that timeline and the when next. All right, in less than a half an hour now, Allison, less than a half an hour will be officially Election Day in America. But even after millions of voters cast their ballots tomorrow, along with more than 
41 people have already cast their votes in early balloting, 41 million. (laughs) It may be days or even weeks before we know who the winners are in some key races around the nation. Back with us now, John Berman, Karen Finney, and David Urban. I mean, I think we're constantly trying to manage expectations with, with very good reason, because we know the process by which votes are counted in a variety of states have people believing when they go to bed, it's one thing. When they wake up, it's something different. And it's a very vulnerable period in our country for our democracy because we know there's room for the talking point and the seed planting to come in that says, oh, what happened overnight, right? Well, look, if people are led to believe that, they're being told dishonest things. Your vote counts as much if you voted three weeks ago as if you vote tomorrow. And you need to know that. You need to know that and you need to believe it. And your vote counts as much if it's tabulated tomorrow or if it's tabulated on Wednesday, Thursday or Friday. And you need to know that and believe it. And everyone should be saying it out loud. Now, there are a few states that count slowly. And one of the problems that we have is a few of these states happen to be some of the closest states in the country. David Urban's Pennsylvania. Some of my best friends are from Pennsylvania. You do an awful job. <laughs> not me. You do I, an I, let's make it clear. I'm not counting votes there by, by my choice, though. Pennsylvania has chosen not to start counting the early votes until right. Election Day. They could have it all buttoned up so that at 9 o'clock tomorrow when the polls close, we could find out what the results are in Pennsylvania. But no, you've chosen not to. Other states that Not me personally again, John. This is David Urban and his friends have done this. In Arizona, also, this is a largely male ballot state. They take some time to count. Also, Arizona's going to be very close. And Nevada also has changed, and they're now a very male-heavy state, and it's going to take a few days, too. You have three key Senate races there that could dictate control of the Senate. So it's going to take time, and people need to know. Well, speaking of the time, John, I mean, look at at this screen, because it actually tells you just how long it did take, as a reminder for people back in 2020. I mean, we're not—look at this. 16 days in some areas, the next day in some other areas, four days, yeah. eight days, or in the case of some people, it's been almost two years. I, I mean, there's <laughs> one there's one theory that we should stop calling it election day and start calling it election month because yes. that's more realistic. Yeah. And, and you, so, or, or, or maybe we just fix it and get it all done in one day. But right? how do you do that nowadays? Uh, uh, I, I mean, look, we can we everybody. I, I bank by phone, right? I move money. I don't even go in the bank. Wait right? a so second. We can, well, people Hold on a second. No, but my point are is, afraid no, no, of mail-in no, ballots. No, no, but this They're is my point, Allison. Right? No, this is my point. America's, America's, most people bank by phone. They don't, how many people, have you seen a queue outside a bank lately? Wait, but you right? don't think that that's going to arouse suspicion of conspiracy I, I, listen, theories? I, I, my point is, if people are comfortable in America, bank, doing everything on their app, on their yeah. phone, ordering food, getting a car, paying their bills on phone, but they're, they dis- distrust Somehow the, the, the election system, yeah. if you trust all your money in the world. I don't know, Dave, still, there's a lot of distrust about election systems yeah, but right also, now. You're going against, you're totally going against Republican orthodoxy because, as I recall, shocking, shocking. we were trying, well, I'm a little shocked. We were trying to make voting a national holiday, so it would be easy for people to vote. And then Listen, there was I, I, I would, I'm in favor of making it. I think it's, it's, it should be a national holiday, right? But let's get it done on one day. Let's not linger. I, let's not have it going counting. for a month. You want the counting done? Yeah, let's, have it, let's have it done. If they could do it in Brazil, right, we could do it in America. But there's no practical reason not to give people a month of voting, let them do it at their leisure based on a busy why, why life. Can, why can't we do it schedule. in a day? Why? But Wait, you, you, mean, you mean count, count in a day? day. I mean, but that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's that's what I'm saying. saying. It's going to be counted in one day. 
But we should know, uh, we should, when we go to bed, we should know the results. But can't we put our big people pants on and just chill out and let the vote but, but, let but the count why, happen? We could do hard things. We put people in the moon. We could, we could count votes. Well, it's not going to happen this year. I mean, it's not, we're not there yet. It's not going to no. happen this year. And I think, John, what is interesting about what you were saying is that you're saying everybody needs to know that their vote counts. Yes. However, on election night, there is a momentum that happens. So there's a, there's there's a, a surge. There's a perceived, there's a perceived, yes. There is a perceived surge. Some people call it a, a mirage. mirage. Yes. And that is real. I know that's an oxymoron, that the mirage is real. <laughs> the real but there's mirage. a feeling when you go to sleep yeah. uh, that something has happened. And sometimes some candidates seize that momentum and run with well, it. Well, they're being disingenuous. Well, yes. And, and, and it's on, frankly, people like us yes. when we're describing what's happening as these votes are being counted to make clear which votes are being counted first and how it could change as time goes on. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we've some of us have made a concerted effort over time not to say, oh, tomorrow is Election Day or eight days until election. No, eight days left to cast your ballot. Right. That's what we should be talking about. And then the counting begins in some cases just begins in some states. I I just think America deserves better. Well, I think we just have to change our, I mean, look, during COVID, we had to change the way we voted, right? We just now have to change the way our anticipation about when we're going to go to the big wall and have all the answers. It could be two weeks, but here's the thing. It's messy, but at least that tells us it's working. And I agree with you that it should absolutely be, there should be an overhaul again. Just say that again. You agree with that. me. I just want to hear you say that. <laughs> Only once. Only once. Once a night, brother. Once a night. I try that at home. It never works. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the only thing about it is, you know, we're all assuming that when people make claims that elections are fraudulent, they actually believe the claim, which we know is not always the case. Fair. I mean, who knows what people believe, but they, they seem to uh, certainly doubt lots of... Uh, things that we take as facts. But now we're, we're going to assume that tomorrow everything goes smoothly. Oh, and, good. And, sure. and all of the counting <laughs> works beautifully for the next few weeks. Uh, meanwhile, as you know, there's this major upheaval at Twitter at a time when election security, of course, is more important than ever. And now Elon Musk is giving his recommendations about who people should vote for. We'll tell you about that. Today, Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, taking uh, to Twitter to advise people to vote Republican. Musk writing, quote, to independent minded voters, shared power curbs the worst excesses of both parties. Therefore, I recommend voting for a Republican Congress, given that the presidency is Democratic. The panel is back with us now. Mm. Um, John, does Elon Musk's recommendations matter? Do his recommendations matter? Look, again, I think any endorsement at this point You'd rather have it than not. Elon, I think the question with Elon Musk is, is this the right thing for a guy to do who just bought a media platform and has been out there for some time saying, I'm going to make this neutral. I'm going to make this down the middle finally. And then one of the first things he does, well, one of the first things he does was spread misinformation about the beating of Paul Pelosi. One of the second things he does. Well, that was fire half of his staff. It, but the third, third thing, thing he, he does, did yeah. was to come out and endorse. Now, so, so it's just incongruous with what he is portraying. I will say this. And every, what he said. He's all said in the past he would not 
you know, go in this way. He would not talk about politics in the same way. I mean, every newspaper in America endorses. It depends what you consider Twitter to be. I know it's different than a newspaper, but every newspaper does endorse. Every other thing endorses. It's not unusual for someone who runs some kind of a thing. It's not a glowing endorsement of the Republican Party, by the way. He said, you know, to my independent-minded voters, right, if you want to have a balance of power in America. Consider voting for Republicans. So we have, we have a, you know, a Democratic executive branch. We'll have a Republican-controlled legislative branch. And then power will be equally shared. And, and, and there'll be a, a better you know, outcome. I think that's what his intent he was here. He didn't this tweet. say it quite that eloquently, but yes. Well, thank, you, Karen. Was, thank you, Karen. That's Again. what he was trying to say. Look, I think he's going to tweet himself out of relevance here. Because what's going to happen for a lot of folks like myself The concern is exactly what John was saying, which is, wait a second, I thought you said this was meant to be the town square where we all get a voice. And remember, the the people that he fired were the people who actually do our moderation three days before the election. So that is, as you say, it's incongruent with what he said he was going to do. And I actually know about a dozen people who have already quit Twitter because they just assume that he's not going to be good to his word. Well, forget the messenger for a moment, though. Does the message resonate? Is he correct? Is the sentiment that if you can have a, a, a good check and balance on power, if you do not allow to have the same party in control of the House, the Senate, and in the Oval Office? That's, I mean, at the, its I mean, core, I think that's that what the midterm. There? I think those are the past 40 years of midterm elections show us, right? The party in power loses seats in the House and Senate. I think the American public has done that by itself without Elon Musk telling to do it. But I think the Ooh. challenge is, as we know, I mean, think about it. Jim Jordan is, wants to do hearings about the FBI's investigation of white supremacy. That's his agenda. So the, the agenda of investigation, which I think they're, the Republicans are going to overreach, I think absolutely a balance of power is an excellent thing. We don't live in that reality anymore. We don't live in a reality anymore where you can count on a a balance of power uh, resulting in a better result for the American people. Yeah, and then there's also the uh, factor of election deniers. That's also a new wrinkle where there are 300 um, running for different, you know, roles. This And that changes everything. I mean, if somebody suddenly becomes the secretary of state and is in charge of elections in their state or the attorney general, that changes everything. So Elon Musk didn't mention anything like yeah. that. Also, we talk about the pendulum swinging. There's a pendulum that tends to swing between complaints about divided government and then complaints about single party rule. You know, if, if you have it one way, they're going to complain and then try to switch right, it to the other. Right, because it's gridlock yeah. or, or it's moving too fast. Yeah. You know, you well, I don't think government ever has been accused of moving too fast, so I'm not quite sure. <laughs> well, you know, Republicans think that Joe Biden is, you know, running away with an agenda right now. Uh, I mean, that's what I mean by moving uh, okay. too fast. <laughs> All right. Uh, David, David, David no, he said, he, that was his quote. Uh, noted. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have nothing to add, Allison. I have nothing to add. I like it. Drop what is happening light. tonight? They yeah. agree. Nothing to add. This is Cats beautiful. Cats dogs. They yeah. say, more than the world. I mean, yeah. they get too. Maybe here. I know. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That's kind of like, is that like a, a, a note about America? Tomorrow? We'll see. It says it's all, wait, it says all about turnout. How and where could the weather impact who shows up at the polls? We're going to give you the forecast next. Guys, we're all going to have to wait a little longer to see if we're billionaires. Just into CNN, the $1.9 billion Powerball drawing is not happening tonight. The Powerball folks say it's been delayed because a participating lottery needs time to complete security protocols. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. That's bizarre. I wonder that... 
Did you win and then they just, they go, <laughs> yes, it's not fair. I'm actually just, this is a cover <laughs> story because I don't want anybody else poking around. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that Something's means, happening. but I've never heard a security breach of the lottery or, or a protocol not being right. done. So we will update you as soon as we have more. And who's the one area? See, I, that's where my mind goes. Who's the one person holding up Allison's billions? Yeah. We'll figure it out. Also, over 50 high temperature records broken or tied today in cities around the Northeast and the South. But now those are supposed to, to drop soon. What else can we expect when we head out to the polls tomorrow? What will the weather mean for voter turnout? Padram Javahari joins us from CNN Weather Channel. Padram, what should people expect tomorrow at the Weather Center? <laughs> you know, we've got lots going on uh, in the weather here across the western U.S. in particular. You look at Arizona, you look at some of these key battleground uh, states across Nevada in particular. Very broad disturbance diving right in that'll bring in quite a bit of weather across the western U.S. So wet weather is in place here. Rain showers, snow showers across the higher elevations. Reno certainly gets in on the wet weather as well. And really the best piece of advice when you look at the forecast over this region in the coming 24 or so hours is get out to the polls early because the weather really kind of goes downhill rather quickly into the afternoon. Places like, such as Reno, you're already going to be running to snow showers. 70 to 80% chance we'll begin to see snow accumulate into the afternoon hours, while in places like Las Vegas, notice the increase in probability and rainfall there. By say 3, 5, even 7 p.m., we're going up to 50, 70 plus percent chance rain's going to be in place, gusty winds are going to be in place as well. And studies have looked at how weather plays a role into voter turnout, and it typically favors the Republican-leaning uh, voters. In fact, they come out in more uh, likelihood numbers uh, based on previous studies than Democratic-leaning voters that are typically impacted and uh, reduced in uh, turnout there when it comes to wet weather. But here it comes across the western United States, and again, the activity shifts a little farther towards the south and east. Even southern California gets in on some of these rain showers. Parts of uh, areas around, say, northern Arizona, Flagstaff, notice what happens again. Three, five, seven p.m., the winds pick up here in intensity, and the temps go downhill very quickly with this incoming front. Now, the eastern U.S., generally quiet conditions. There is a tropical system offshore that will be well offshore for any significant impacts, but places like Atlanta, temps well above average, which studies have looked at temps above average on Election Day. That does increase voter turnout. But it also has, has been seen to be more likely to keep the incumbent power in play there and keep them more likely uh, to continue forward there. So the temps remain above average across the southern U.S., parts of the eastern U.S. Cooler air is going to eventually arrive. And again, the tropical storm, subtropical feature that's offshore, guys, is going to remain well offshore. So no impacts there for our friends in Florida. Pedram, thank, thank you for all of that. And I just learned to, from Pedram that Democrats need Better foul weather gear. That's what I <laughs> yeah. took away from that weather forecast. Thank you for that news you can use. All right, we're minutes away from Election Day in America. We'll go through all the critical races and what possible surprises to watch out for next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.